tonight. The scripture reading is, is from Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and I'm going to give it my best shot because there's a lot of weird names in here. <laughs> Just go with it. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nation. Nation was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abuhid. Abuhid was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on now? Okay, good. I'm sorry, I pushed the button the wrong way. Hey, I wanted to tell you that was a great blessing for Rose. Date it, frame it, put it where she's a teenager, that she can take it when she has her own family. Um, it'd just be a great, great thing. I, that, that was really well done. I really like the way this church does that. Um, so here we are in Advent season. We have grandparents come to see the baptism. We have a lot of children that sang. That was great. I was glad that Emma collected the bells. I was afraid it'd become like Mississippi State game, and y'all would say, no, that's not a bad point. That's a good point. That's a good point, or whatever. But um, the title of my sermon today is, My Mess, Too Bad for Jesus. Um, did you know there were no level concrete uh, sidewalks in Jerusalem when Mary and Joseph arrived? Did you know they did not dry clean the hay before the birth of Jesus? Do you realize that that description of the birth of Jesus, it was a mess? 
Um, that tells us something about the background of Jesus, right? We like to hear the background of Jesus. Uh, in fact, when we meet new people, that's one of the things we tend to ask. Well, where are you from? What did you do? What was it like being on a sheep farm growing up? Whatever that they tell you, you ask questions to see what you have in common. A lot of times they end up living the same place you do. We like to know the background of pe people, even fictional people. Um, are of interest to us. Um, my daughter Margaret and I like to go to the Spider-Man movies. Um, and I'll just give you a little quiz. So Spider-Man was a normal, smart kid, and he went on a field trip one day, and all of a sudden something happened to him. What? Yeah, radioactive spider gave him spidey sense, and um, genetically mutated spider, and so I, I love those movies. They're great escapism and fun. But to truly understand the powers of a superhuman, sometimes you need to know where they come from. Wonder Woman evidently was molded by clay by her mother Hippolyta and raised on Paradise Island and taught by the Amazons. Well, maybe. Superman came from the planet Krypton. And we know that Krypton was about to blow up and his parents put him in a spaceship. I never understood why he put, they put kryptonite in there too. And because it's all of a sudden it's here. Um, but we found that out. Um, the Black Panther came from a hidden African kingdom of Wakanda. Very good. Um, where meteorites evidently 10,000 years ago in this story deposited minerals that developed superpowers. So there were those fictional uh, original stories um, of superhumans. But... Sometimes the, um, the backstories of people give us a real uh, interesting insight. Uh, I saw just this last week that, you remember the professor on Gilligan's Island? Um, he evidently was a, uh, a tremendous war hero and, war, and was awarded many medals, but he never talked about it. Don Wells on the show said he never mentioned a thing, and yet he was one of the highly decorated um, soldiers. Well, the book, The Good Neighbor, was written by Mr. Rogers. Those of you of a certain age know who Mr. Rogers is, right? Um, I remember his sweater. Uh, you might want to know his uh, background is that as a child, he was overweight, and he was bullied. He was called Fat Freddy, and it bothered him. Um, and his goal as an adult was to defend children. And so that's why he always said, you're special just, as, just the way you are. It was more than a sentiment, and it was more because he wanted to advocate in, and have a conviction to protect children. And that explains an awful lot. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., you might not know, that he went to seminary and he was ridiculed. His beginning sermons had a lot of flourish, but no substance. And so the other stu students would... Um, get on to him. So over time, he got better and better until one day he was able to preach um, of a dream of a mountaintop where uh, children would be judged by the quality of their character rather than the color of their skin. These latter two examples, we begin to recognize more than the comic figures that when people come from certain places, it does affect them. Rose coming from this family, it will affect them. It will affect her and all the girls. But the heroes that give us hope are the ones that come from the mess that we can understand. 
And here in this genealogy, Matthew, who was the most Jewish of the gospel writers, gives us this uh, rather long and um, genealogy that covered so, so many years, uh, approximately 4,000 years. But the Hebrew Matthew, the author, uh, broke tradition. Because if you read in the Old Testament, you see genealogies there, like in Genesis 11, long genealogies, and you will not find any women in it at all. And he, by, on purpose, put some ladies, the mothers, grandmothers, great-great-great-grandmothers of Jesus in this genealogy. And we're going to take a look at some of those today. Um, first of all, it's, it begins in verse 1. Um, talking about the promise that is given to us. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't assume much anymore because even though I've been a pastor for a long time, I don't expect the hearers to know what I know, okay? And that was reminded to me when I was um, speaking at Joe Gibbs in a small uh, group, and I mentioned that Jesus Christ, that Christ wasn't his last name, to which two of the guys said, what do you mean? I mean, really? And then I explained what Christ meant, that it was, he, he was the Messiah. It wasn't his last name, it was his title. And they went, wow, I never knew that. And in that name, Christ is a promise, that he is the Christ, that he is our Messiah. Um, and in that promise, we will also look at the purpose and the parentage uh, of this original story. To see the promise... We see this genealogy. It also goes the son of David and the son of Abraham. And it doesn't go into great length about the son of David, who David was, or Abraham, because this was written, this gospel was written mostly to the Jews. They knew who David and Abraham was. Son of Abraham, we know that David was given promises, the promises of God that there would be an eternal and universal kingdom come through David. And so here, when G, in this genealogy, when he says he's the son of David, he's saying he is the fulfillment of the promise to David. Um, and he says he brings those, that promise and those privileges, but he's not alone. He's also the son of Abraham, which we remember he was the one very clearly that demonstrated faith. And based upon him, he was given another promise that he would not just be the grandfather of a lot of ch children, grandchildren, but he'd be the father of many nations of which we are a part. And the implication is, if we believe like Abraham believed, if we believe God, we will be a part of those nations. Well, the promise is what God provides, not what we provide. Um, so there's little said about Abraham and, and David other than it's faith was the cause of the blessing. So when I was thinking about that, um, you know, because this was written mostly to Jews, I was wondering what the thief on the cross would, thought, would think if he had read this. He goes, I don't know who David is. <laughs> I don't know who Abraham is. You remember the thief on the cross, you know, he was hanging there and he was able to openly say, hey, I deserve this. I'm a robber, I'm a thief, but he's not. He's righteous. Jesus doesn't deserve this. 
And right then he heard, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just imagine the imaginary gatekeeper in heaven that the jokes have. Um, they asked the thief on the cross, well, what do you bring? Why should I let you in? And the thief would say, I got nothing. I'm with him. You know, that's the gospel. I got nothing. It's not I'm bringing all that I've done. Um, it becomes the testimony that we need over and over again. Whatever God promises, whatever the privileges are, I accept by faith. It's not what... It's what he will do, or he will do, or he has done, rather than what I've done. I've got nothing. No doubt you've heard the old, old, old preacher's story about the man who stands before the gates of heaven, and the gatekeeper asks, um, you can get in if you can show me that you've earned 100 points. He says, okay, well, I've been married to my wife for 50 years and been faithful all those 50 years. He said, 50 years, that's great. That's two points. And he said, oh, I've also gave a million dollars to the building program of the church. A million dollars. That's great. That's one point. And he says, 50 years, a million dollars, and I only got three points? There's no way I'm going to get to heaven except for the grace of God. And he said, yeah, you come in. Because it's the grace of God. Now, you might chuckle at that because we know the truth. That, that is the truth. But I want to tell you that most of the U.S. believes the opposite. They believe they can get to heaven if on the scale that somewhere that I have a little more good than I have bad. That somewhere there's a scale and I've been trying to do good and I compare myself to so-and-so and I'm better than them, so I guess I'll get in. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. In fact, that's terrible news, because you never will do enough. Um, so we go from the promises of God to the lineage of Jesus. Uh, but I first want to tell you a story before I tell you that story. I was a, my father died when I was six. I think I told you about that. And um, so we lived, we, my mom moved where her folks were in Birmingham, Alabama. And then, but in the summertime, uh, I was one of four boys. My mom would either take us or put us on a plane, and we'd go up to Richmond and spend time with my grandmother. I loved her, Grandma Margaret. And uh, she lived on a 400-acre farm. We learned all sorts about dirt clods. She had cultivated blackberries. We'd play in the woods all day. It was great. She had uh, imaginative names for her dog, Blackie and Brownie. And uh, she had one dog that had uh, a particular spot. It was a bird dog on the back, and it looked like an eight, so his name was eight. And uh, so we loved those dogs. We'd play. Um, back then, I was small enough I could crawl into the doghouse when, you know, it was, it was fun. It was great. Well, there were certain families, members that would come, and we didn't know who they were. There would be aunts, uncles, whatever, most, mostly ladies would come and just say hello to us. One particular one would always bring candy. We were glad that she came. Um, but part of the, you might remember, part of the, the, the kind of rules is you, uh, after a little while, and you greet, greet them and say hello, you sit and listen, right? And then my aunts would talk to my grandmother, and I would listen. 
And this one particular day, I'll never forget, they go on for about an hour, and they're talking about our family. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to hear some really racy things about our family. And I was just, really, really, really. So that aunt left, and I went to Grandma Margaret, and I said, which relatives were you talking about? She said, what are you talking about? She said, the one that did this and the one that did that and the one that had this conspiracy, which ones were they? And she goes, oh, we weren't talking about her family. We were talking about my stories. That's what she called her soap operas. But I thought for sure that was my family. And I said, what have I been born into? Well, we actually did have a lot of stories in our families. Um, and we're going to find some stories here as we look at these ladies um, the first mom isn't often mentioned in the Bible, but Matthew on purpose did mention her. Um, we read in verse 3, uh, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar is one of the most horrific stories in the Bible, where Judah gave his sons to Tamar um, to be married. She gave him one son. He was such a despicable person, God took him out of the picture. Okay, Judah gave him the second son to be her husband. He was also despicable. God took him out of the character. Then Judah says, this must be, he didn't look at his sons, it must be Tamar's fault. So he wouldn't, she wouldn't, he wouldn't give her the third son. Instead, he pushed her out basically to detest, you know, to, to insignificant nothing that she was just basically put out like a homeless person. Um, so, she decided, because what he was pushing her to, the only way she could eat would eventually be prostitution. So, she dressed up like a prostitute and went around Judah. Long story short, she gets pregnant by Judah she delivers a baby. Judah finds out about it, and she, he wants to have her stoned because she had a baby not by his sons but by someone else, which basically, you know, tainted her. And he felt like that was a reproach on the family until she basically says, Judah, you are the father. Well, it's hard to count up all the wrong in that story. Betrayal, incest, destitution imposed by abusive father-in-law, prostitution, immorality. Tamar is in the line of Jesus. If we say it's too bad a mess, Jesus says, I come from a mess. Is your mess too bad for Jesus? He says, wait, I know mess. I come from mess. Of course, the mess gets worse. Verse 5, in the line of Salmon, in the line was Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? Rahab was a harlot in a city that um, the Israelites were going to capture, Jericho. She was the one who betrayed her own people to hide the spies that came in to see if they could get the city, if they would be able to occupy the land. And... Um, be inhabited by the people of Israel. 
And somehow, after the walls fell down, after the dust settled, somebody in Israel said, Rahab, will you marry me? And out of that mess came Jesus. Tamar, Rahab. And then it goes on to say, another mom here in this list, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Now, we have a book called Ruth about her story. It's a great story, beautiful, beautiful picture. She wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabitess. Um, you need to know something about Moabitess because the Jews that would hear this story and read this, they knew their history, and they go, what? If they weren't aware, um, she was a Moabitess? That's terrible. We hate them. We hate the Moabites. You go, why? Well, when they left Egypt, after the ten plagues, the Red Sea, and they were going to the Promised Land, there were a number of ways to get to the Promised Land. There was one way to go into a really terrible desert where people would die, or they could go through the land of the Moabites, which was a more direct route and a safer route. And so they went to the Moabites, can we just come through? We're not staying, we're not setting up tents, we're just going to keep going right through your land. Can we do that? They said, no way, you're not coming through. So as a result, they had to go the long way around, and in the desert, many people died. And every time there was a funeral, they would think about the Moabites. And when they got through that, they kept a grudge. The Moabites are hated. She's a Moabitess. Israel was not supposed to marry outside the covenant people. But you remember that Ruth said to Naomi, your God will be my God. She became a believer. And when her husband died, she ended up marrying Boaz, as Ruth tells us. There's a problem there too. Not only a Moabite, but she marries Boaz. Well, he said, what's wrong with Boaz? <laughs> what's going on here? Well, Boaz is the, listen carefully, the great, 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 great grandson of Tamar. I just told you about Tamar. So she's the, he's the product of an incestual relationship. What's the problem with that? If you're a product of an incestual relationship, you could not go to the temple of God. You could not be in the temple of God. You could not be considered a part of God's covenant people for 10 generations from that incest. Guess how many generations away from the incest Boaz was? It just so happens to be 10. And Ruth marries the man out of an incestual relationship, though she was a Moabitess, the enemy of the people of God. And we wonder if the mess is too bad. Can Jesus deal with it? He says, I came out of that mess. And the Savior, Jesus, has a background, and this is part of it. Is it not true that every family has drama? That's not really an amen, it's usually an oh me <laughs> kind of response. It's true. Every family has drama. And so we should be able to identify even more with Matthew's description of the line of Christ. There's one more mom in verse 6. It says, And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife 
of Uriah, and that wife was Bathsheba. That's a famous story. Um, we know that when the time when kings went to war, David didn't. He stayed back, and he got in trouble. And he saw a naked woman. He wanted her. He took her. They had, she got pregnant. He decided he would try to mitigate the circumstances, and it didn't work. And he ended up killing Bathsheba's husband. Murder. And Bathsheba is in the line of Christ. Can Jesus deal with that mess? He comes from that mess. Why would I point this out? I think because Matthew pointed it out. Because when a family is falling apart, when our marriages are failing, when we feel this load of guilt and shame to where we don't want to look at anybody, we don't want to be with anybody, we even want to leave the church because we don't want anybody to know, you need to hear the hymn that needs to be written, Go Tell It on a Mountain, that Jesus understands your mess. And he loves you, and he won't stop. He came into a mess to save a mess. And we identify with that. He knows the mess, and he can deal with it. Now, I don't, you know, I, I'm praying, and I hope you are, about the states as they vote on Roe v. Wade. Obviously, in the PCA, we, we, we love our children. And just as was prayed earlier about the um, you know, ultrasound, tremendous tool. Well, as a pastor for a long time in a church, um, I've had to deal with a number of those kind of situations. And there was one particular lady in the church that she, she had a secret. And her secret was she had had an affair and had an abortion as a result of the affair. While being married to, she was the elder's wife. And, you know, and, but she let me know that secret. And she said this, Ken, when you're coming across a, 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 a woman or a man that's dealing with this situation, I just want you to know what I've gone through, and I'll be glad to talk to him, you know, not to publicize it. And so I had many occasions where I would call on Sandra, and she would come and tell about the forgiveness of Jesus. She would come with tears and talk about forgiveness. And she would say, she would hug them. They saw Jesus in her. And they recognized she was walking with God, and they could too. That their mess was not going to negate them from a relationship with Jesus. And it took a lady that was like five foot tall, maybe 4'11", but had Jesus in her and loved people and who had made mistakes and been in mess to share that. Moms have struggles. The moms in the line of Jesus had theirs. Can Jesus handle your mess? Yes, he can. He says, I'm out of that mess. My relatives are Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba. And by the way, there's also a, another lady mentioned there that we tend to sing songs about, was Mary. Think about this a minute, and then I'll close. The people in a small town, how many of you grew up in a small town? Then you understand more than anybody else. In a small town, everybody knows everybody's business. You know where the tree used to be. And you give directions, go to where the big tree used to be and turn right. Everybody understood that, you know, in a small town. Everybody knew their relatives. Everybody knew everybody's business. Well, in Jesus' small town, they could do math. They could figure out that this pregnant girl 
broke the rules in their mind. And Jesus grew up there with the understanding that he was illegitimate. Right? Does that happen in a small town? It does. Do you think you have a bad background? Jesus more than understands. This genealogy, and we're going to look at it again next week, except for uh, Ben and Emma are going to sing the genealogy, and you don't have to read it. Okay? You might say, yeah, you need to come just for that. But I want to call you to accept by faith the promises that are listed here, Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that God had a plan, and he used people with mess in the line of Jesus. And you know, people would look at Mary and say, there's no way she could have a Savior. She's sinful. The truth was, she was. But not, the only way she would not be sinful of, you know, that kind of immorality would be a virgin birth. And guess what? That happened. I call you to accept by faith in what Jesus has done rather than what you have done, good or bad. You got nothing. Jesus got it all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us through this passage to see pain and mess and hope and promise. Father, help us to cling to the one it's written to about the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.